Why don't you have a look around at the people around you, smile. Don't give them a weird face, but give them a nice face. And um, uh, in front, behind, around you, we're going to pray for the people around us and bless them as we come to the Word. Uh, Loving God, we thank you for those who are in front of us and behind us and alongside us. Lord, we want you to bless them. We want you to uphold them. We want you to move in their lives. We thank you that they are here today. We thank you that your love for them is unquestionable. And so, Lord, may they hear uh, this morning exactly what they need to hear. Because, Lord, our hearts need to be transformed by your love and grace again. And will you do it in their lives today? And so, Lord, we picture them in our mind. And we just want to pour out your blessing upon their lives. So be with them in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're in our Lenten series, and I've titled this The Radical Hospitality of God. The Radical Hospitality of God. And because as you read the Scriptures, as you go through the Gospels, you see that God time and time again provides to us opportunities for us to enter into his grace and his love. And, uh, and no more so than when we read the stories of dinner tables in the Gospels. And so as we come up to uh, our Easter experience, we're going to be diving into a few Old Testament stories, but mainly we're going to be looking at Jesus' stories of him gathered around the table with people and what happens. And so last week we started and Simon and Alyssa uh, did that for us last week and they did a great job on, on doing that, where uh, we, we looked at the fact that, that Jesus goes to the home of people that the religious people thought uh, he shouldn't be eating with. And there's this whole question raising up and going, are these people worthy to be in Jesus' presence? And of course the answer is, yes, they were, because Jesus doesn't become polluted by the pollution of the world. Jesus makes clean the pollution of the world. And so when Jesus comes and touches a leper, he doesn't get the leprosy, he makes the leper clean. And that's the story of the gospel is that when we allow Jesus to do what Jesus wants to do in your life and my life, he turns whatever's going on inside of you and he makes it clean. How good is that? That he makes it clean. And today we're going to be exploring really the flip side of that in some ways because we're going to be seeing another story of Jesus. And it's from... um, Luke's Gospel, chapter 7, and we're reading from verse 36 uh, to 50. It's going to be on the screen so you can follow. Um, Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. Now, we don't know why he invited Jesus, but I reckon that Jesus was just a really cool dude to hang out with. So he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. When a a woman who lived a sinful life in the town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. 
And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who was invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, there's a question mark there in his mind, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a sinner. It's interesting that he knows that. Just putting it out there. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money in a cert- to a certain money lender. One owed him 100 uh, denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he cancelled the debt of both. Now, which one would love him more? And Simon replied, I kind of get the kind of get the feeling sheepishly I don't know why sheepishly I suppose the one who had the bigger debt cancelled you Simon have judged correctly Jesus said then he turned to the woman and said to Simon do you see this woman I came into your house you did not give me any water for my feet but she has wet my feet with tears and wipes them with her hair. You do not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who has been forgiven loves little. And then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say to themselves, Who is this that even who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Like a a balm to her soul. Your sins have been forgiven. Go in peace. I'm wondering whether you can identify with this woman that is known we're going to have some tapping today that's going to be fun who is known to be the sinful woman in the town I wonder if you've ever come across a point in time in your life where you've been boxed as a certain kind of person where you've been judged without people looking at you, whether you've been, you've been, you felt like you've been left out because people have made assumptions of you. Now sometimes you can have this feeling just because of your physical presence. I get it all the time because I'm tall. I cannot tell you how many times I get asked, what's the weather like up there? (laughs) Like, please, It's cooler, get over it. (laughs) You know? But, you know, uh, I imagine if you're short in stature, you get that a lot too. 
that if you, you have your appearance a little bit different from what people think is normal, whatever that is, that people would bring that up to you all the time and kind of like it's a staple of who you are when it has nothing to do with who you are. Other than then, I get asked to take down things from the top of the shopping mall every time I go there. Someone would say, excuse me, sir, can you get that can from up on the top shelf? I mean, it doesn't take much, does it, to feel left out, to be pushed aside, to be boxed. I reckon we've all got scars, probably from school or form a community that we're a part of, even our family, where maybe our parents have said, you're always like this. And we feel like that becomes our identity. Sometimes when we have a, a long and, and protracted illness, we start identifying ourselves with the illness, and we can find ourselves feeling boxed with our illness. It's not hard, I don't think, to feel like some way like this woman. You know, and sometimes we think people are boxing us, people are excluding us, and and I've run into some young people who do this, this, that that say, you know what, I'm just going to change who I am so people will love me more. And we try and work on a way of making ourselves acceptable to others And so we start to change our character and change what we do and change who we hope for, just trying to make things happen so that we can feel this connection and this love that we've so dearly wanted and need. Only to find that we are not being true to ourselves. And so I think that this woman shows us a picture of what it's like to be broken in this world, what it's like to be pushed out, what it's like to be excluded. Because here she is, known as the sinner. You know, she's known to the whole community. Simon knows that she is the sinful woman. In fact, even the translators of the Bible add in there, if you read some translations, that she's a woman of the night, that she's a prostitute. It doesn't say that in the text. But they put that label upon her, trying to give it an extra kind of label. But here she is known by the whole community as boxed in as a sinner. Here she is, wanting to come and repent and, and she is pushed out by Simon, the, the religious people saying, if Jesus only knew what kind of woman that she is, he, she, he would exclude her. And so for everywhere she goes, not only is she boxed as a sinner, but she's excluded from the community. And I think that this woman in her brokenness and her sin has nowhere to go and so the desperation builds up she's tried everything she knows that she's broken she knows that she's sinful she doesn't need to be told 
and her only hope is Jesus. And so I want you to identify with the brokenness of this woman that is so easy to feel excluded, even within church. It's so easy to feel excluded amongst friends, in families. It's so easy these days to be labelled that you did something a long time ago and it continues to judge you over the years of your life. And so we have this woman who is broken and desperate. And she comes to Jesus. And and I I want to encourage you this morning to look at the response of Jesus to this whole situation. Because here he is coming to the home of a Pharisee. And last last week he was in the home of the sinners. This week he's in the home of the Pharisees, which means that Jesus doesn't care who he hangs out with. He'll even hang out with you. If he likes the sinner and he likes the saint, self-proclaimed, he's going to dig you. And he, and he, he comes and he sits and he reclines. And you see, that there's no judgment here from Jesus on Simon until Simon makes a judgment. And, and he's fulfilling the, the, the scripture is that as you judge, so you will be judged. And so he's just sitting there, eating, enjoying his time, even though the Pharisee had not given him the honor and the respect that he deserved. Jesus is happy. And sometimes we can think that. You know, that God will only be happy with us when we do what is right and what is good all the time. But here he is, not receiving the honour, not receiving what is due to him, but he's sitting happily. And then Jesus, as the woman comes in and weeps and cries... And I've got to tell you that her desperation cry was not just some little tears, but I think she cried with her nose as well. You know, those really, those really heartfelt cries where you don't just cry with your eyes, but it comes out of every place that you don't want it to come out of. And so it's not these lovely tears. I think it's got little bits. I just wanted to give you that image. Because sometimes we think it's all nice and clean, but I think God loves the messiness and wants to work with us in the messiness. And, and Jesus sees her heart, that she has a, a craving to see God do something deep within her. There's a desperation there, and he doesn't look at who she was, and he doesn't look at what she's done But he looks at what she's doing and what her heart is saying right here and right now. She has a craving for healing. She has a a craving for wholeness. She has a craving for acceptance. 
And she's finally focused all those cravings on the right thing. She's finally focused all those cravings on the one who can do something about it. And God meets her right there in the uncomfortable setting. And and from what I read of this scripture, I just love the fact that Jesus is happy to be interrupted. He's sitting in the Pharisee's house having a meal. She barges in. She snots all over his feet. She wipes it with her hair and he goes, this is good. Because he sees her heart that wants God. And she sees that Jesus accepts her, not for what she's done, but for what she's doing. And where her heart is right now and right here. Now, it's really easy to believe when it comes to this story that we should just accept that and that's beautiful. But the reality is that most of us, we've got the voice of the Pharisee inside of our heads. And for me, the, the voice of the Pharisee is really the voice of the lie, the, the, the voice that, that keeps on coming back to keep us out of the presence of God. If in fact, if you read this story, you'll see that the, the Pharisee actually represent the lies that we tell ourselves. The lie that we tell ourselves that we've got to have it all together before we can enter into the presence of God. Simon's saying, if only he knew what kind of woman she was, he wouldn't let her near her. That is the lie that we tell ourselves, that only when we've got our life together can God do something in me. That God will touch me, that God will heal me, that God will bring me wholeness and that God will accept me. It's the lie of the Pharisee. The lie of the Pharisee is that that God is too busy for me, that God will be annoyed if I interrupt his plans for the evening. But I want to say to you today that God loves a gate crasher. God likes those people that just in their hearts know that they need to be right with God and he welcomes them crashing into his presence. And the lie of the Pharisee continues when we think that God only accepts a certain type of person. That we've got to be a certain way for him to accept us. The radical hospitality of God is that if you're struggling to accept the fact that Jesus loves you and that Jesus is for you, that maybe that you've got a lie of the Pharisee in your heart that you need to say, God, take it away. Because God wants you to feel accepted. God wants you to be healed. God wants you to be whole. God wants you to know his presence and to feel his presence. And if we're not in that space, then we've either believed a lie of the Pharisee or we're refusing to bump, uh, to crash into God's presence. So I want to put a couple of things to you today of how we can let God work in our lives. 
First of all, I think that we should let God into our pain. Here we see a woman in incredible pain and and she comes to Jesus and Jesus is with her in her pain. And sometimes we feel like we have to carry the load of pain on our own. I don't, can't tell you how many times when, when I talk to people and they're, they're travelling with a situation, I've said, where have you allowed God into this? And they go, well, I haven't really prayed about it at all yet. Really? God wants to travel with you through this thing. That our desire to be in God's presence, our desire to get right with God, our our heart, if you like, is what God really cares about. And so as we we are are people who want to come into God's presence, I think there needs to be a certain desperation that we have to want to uh, be in his presence and, and, and know his healing and his goodness upon our lives. Because when we come just with the heart of saying, God, only you can make it right, then God does make it right. I want you to have a look at this story again. In the beginning of the story... The Pharisee is the one who is right. And at the end of the story, he's wrong. At the beginning of the story, the woman is wrong. And at the end of the story, the woman is right. Do you want me to say that again? You look confused. At the beginning of the story, the Pharisee is the one who is seen as being right with God. And as we journey through the story, we see that his heart is more lean towards reputation, more towards uh, the, the law than it is towards the heart. And so when the woman comes and falls at his feet, at Jesus' feet, he's concerned about what other people are thinking. He's concerned about what Jesus is doing instead of celebrating the fact that this woman wants to come and have her life renewed and restored. And so he goes from a place of thinking he's right into realising that he's in a place where he's wrong. And the woman comes in sinful, comes in ashamed, comes in desperate, pushes her way through the crowd, falls on his feet, and Jesus looks at her heart and says, you know what? Your faith, I see it. I see the fact that you want to give everything to me and I make you right. And we sang it in a song earlier that it's not about what we do, it's about what God's done. It's not about who we are, it's about who God is. And I've and I got, got a feeling this morning that some of you have been struggling with the acceptance of God in your life. That you've either believed the lie that you've got to be a certain way, that you've got to be a certain person, 
and you've tried and, and, and you've tried in your brokenness to be good and it just hasn't worked and people keep on boxing you and excluding you and telling you that you're not good enough. And I want to tell you this morning that the radical hospitality is that God loves you. If you come to him with a desperate heart saying, God, deal with my mess. Some of you have been travelling so long with God that you've forgotten how much he's changed your life and your heart and your love has been diminished because you've forgotten how much Jesus has saved you and you've found yourself falling into the trap of being Simon that's more concerned about what people see than what's in your heart. I think God wants to do something about that this morning. It's all about your heart. It's all about whether or not you're desperate to see God do something in you and through you. And as a church, we've got to be more, more committed to not judging people because that's how we'll be judged and more committed to offering the radical hospitality of God that's been offered and given to us to those who walk through our doors and those who are in our lives. So this is what I want you to do today. I want you to just pause and think and ask yourself, where is my heart? Is it desperate for God? Or is it grown cold? I want you to ask yourself a question about your hospitality of others. And whether you invite others into your world. Or whether you're prepared to go into their world. As I've been reflecting on these stories, one of the things I realise is that Jesus actually goes to other people's homes more than people go to his, because he doesn't have one. In fact, I was trying to think, oh, well, when, when does Jesus actually invite people around for the meal? And I was thinking, well, it's the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000. He does it on a large scale. So if you feel like you're right with God, my challenge to you tonight is... How can you be invited around to somebody's place to bring them the love and the grace of God? So will you stand with me? I just want to um, pray for people and the different situations they are in their lives. So I'm going to ask you to respond this morning. So if you are feeling like you are distant from God. You know that God loves you, but you're distant and you want God to change that. I just want you to put your hand on your heart. Just put it there as a response. If you're feeling like, uh, like you, you, you're not experiencing the acceptance of God, I just want you to put your hands out in front of you as a response to God. So close your eyes, put your hand on your heart, put your hand out in front. Whether you're feeling 
like uh, you're struggling to be accepted or whether you're feeling like your heart is cold, let's bring that to God. Put it there where you need to. Respond how you need to now. Loving God, we need you. Now, if this story says anything, it is that the heart matters. And you love and, and want to dine with both the sinner and the saint. And I want to pray for those people in this room who have struggled to feel the acceptance of your love and your grace in their lives. And I pray, Lord, that you'll well up at the desperation of this woman within them. That they'll come to a point, and even right now, as they hold out their hands saying, God, here I am. Take away the lies and bring in your truth. That you're for me, not against me. That you love me, that you're with me. And that your words come to me, that my sins are forgiven. Lord, will you do a radical work within their hearts right now in Jesus' name? Pray, Lord, for those who are feeling that their hearts are cold, that they've forgotten the great love that you have for them, they've forgotten how much you love them, that you're with them. And Lord, rebirth in them a freshness and a newness of their soul. Lord, let them repent of any judgment that they have in their hearts. And let them move once again into your grace. So loving God, bless them. For your love for them is as dear as your love for all of us. And Lord, I pray for us as a church. Help us not just to experience your love and grace, but pass it on, not just to people who come through the doors, but in all areas of our lives. Help us to pass on your love and your grace in our workplaces, in our schools, in our families. So Lord, we thank you and we praise you for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name. Amen.